Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, welcome back to the podcast. We're going to be getting into Philippians chapter 3 today. And I just think it's kind of funny as we get started today that uh, in Philippians 3, um, Paul is going to start with the word finally, mm-hmm. but he's only halfway through. Yeah. So this is like a classic preacher move where you're like, and in conclusion, and, and then you're only halfway through the sermon. Yeah. I think the CSB tries to bail Paul out there. And in my translation, it says, in addition. In addition. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is kind of them. Does it do it in chapter four as well? Uh, yeah. What? Because there, there's one more finally, isn't there? There is. You're right. Uh, I gotta find it. Verse eight. It will say finally. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. But you're right. This is a classic preacher move. I was gonna start our episode by saying finally, finally, brethren, and then have another, and episode. be like, oh wait, there's more. That, that would be good. But yeah, this is a uh, this. Although we're right in the middle of the book of Philippians. Paul will continue to have just this really super practical advice for us. And uh, last week we got to talk a little bit about kind of two different sections, uh, emphasizing being lights in the world and what that's going to look like, um, specifically highlighting. I really liked this, Stephen, from last week that, you know, we're, we can be lights in the world just by not grumbling and arguing and complaining and just being, you know, blending in with the rest of the world that does a lot of those things. Um, but instead, we need to um, offer up our lives like Paul did, being poured out as a drink offering, as a sacrificial service of faith, and um, just what it looks like to, to live as a Christian. And then he gets right into a couple of examples of that. Uh, first with Timothy, uh, someone that Paul will call uh, his son in the faith, and then with Epaphroditus, who we learned that literally was a, almost poured out his life as a drink offering. like He almost died in service of the Philippian brethren. And so that was just a really good practical example of that. Uh, But today in the podcast, it's going to switch gears just a little bit in this new finally or in addition section. And we're going to have a few different various warnings. And to start with, he's going to warn them against false teachers. Yeah, and this is kind of a a side note. uh, In um, the letters of Paul, there are a lot of warnings against false teaching. Mm-hmm. And often when Paul warns a church against false teachers, he is warning them against something that's already present and like already there. Um, but what's interesting is that in Philippi, he's going to be warning them against something that may not be there yet. He's kind of giving them a little bit of immunity, if you will inoculating them against a false teaching that's out there, but it's not necessarily in Philippi, which again, this just shows that it's a pretty healthy church, but it's not immune to false teachers coming in and and wreaking havoc. And uh, what we're going to see in this chapter is apparently um, these false teachers are what we would call the Judaizing teachers or Jew-making teachers who are teaching that Gentiles uh, who were not converts to Judaism first, they just became Christians, that they weren't actually saved, they weren't really Christians. So um, we'll get into that more in just a minute, but I do think it's interesting that I think most of chapter 3 is kind of in this light of, hey, watch out for these false teachers, 
And here's a better attitude to have. Paul himself models a better attitude of how to uh, how to think about our works and how to um, focus on Jesus. Yeah, that's right. So let's just jump right in. We'll read Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that it will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. All right. Such a powerful section. Um, so joy comes up right out of the gates. Uh, finally, my brothers, or in addition. Um, in addition. Rejoice in the Lord. Um, so he, he's giving them an exhortation to joy. And then he reminds them that, hey, like I'm going to write some of the same things to you here. Like he said this before, but they say that there's three good principles of teaching. Repetition, repetition, and repetition. So, What's the fourth one? Uh, I'm going to guess <laughs> that it's uh, repetition. But he says, to write the same things to you, well, it's no trouble to me. I don't mind repeating it. And it's safe for you. I think you said a safeguard. Yeah, it's um, a safeguard. Mm-hmm. And so we need repeated warnings. And some people wonder, well, why is the Bible kind of repetitive sometimes? Well, we need it. God knows that our skulls can be pretty thick sometimes and we need to hear it again and there's times where we grow tired of that but it's important for us to realize hey we we really do need to remember this and again paul had repeated warnings against false teaching and philippians 3 is another one of them and i wonder too is this something that they have already dealt with at some point and i think even with specific sin or with specific false teaching after so much time goes by we forget how bad it is and so we need that reminder of hey remember how bad these things are and man Stephen, he kind of starts off with a punch in verse two he does indeed he calls them dogs he calls them evil workers uh very two clear intentional insults because that is what they are being uh, whenever they are teaching what is false intentionally doing so especially they're dogs um, and I know in our culture we don't always have the right perception of what Paul means here because we love our dogs uh, my family we have a dog and we love her we, you know we, we cuddle with her and play with her and do all kinds of fun stuff with her Back then, dogs were a nuisance, and um, still today in certain cultures, when I went to West Africa, like that's how dogs were viewed. They were kind of a, a nuisance, and like they were annoying, and like 
they were sometimes really vicious randomly and so you kept your distance between the dogs and so Paul here is calling a false teacher that because that's what they are yeah stay away from them and and it looks like when he talks about those who mutilate the flesh and then immediately in verse 3 switches over to circumcision is he's talking about people who are seeking to make converts to Judaism specifically through the process of circumcision and uh, he'll make some similar comments in Galatians um, talking about those who mutilate the flesh and um, again the point he's going to make here is like watch out for these people who teach that circumcision itself is the only way to Jesus um, that you have to become a Jew before you become a Christian otherwise you're not legitimately a Christian so that seems to be the background of this he doesn't use the word Judaizer anywhere in the the text itself, but kind of reading between the lines, even what, with what Paul's about to describe when he talks about his own history, he's going to say, listen, if anyone has a reason to be a Judaizer, it's me. Like, I am the poster child of what they would want, and I have given it all up because I found something better. And so it's particularly powerful that Paul is giving a defense against Judaizing, uh, being a Jew-making teacher, because he would be the perfect candidate for it. Um, It's not like he's preaching against something that wouldn't fit him anyway. He's saying, like, listen, if anybody, you know, um, well, that's what he says in verse uh, 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he kind of, like, builds up his credentials only to throw them all away mm. because he's illustrating hey, these Judaizing teachers they this is where they put their confidence and where I could put my confidence but I'm not so I think it's really powerful to think about the background of the Judaizing teachers for this passage yeah that's right and some of those credentials we'll just go through them because they're fun things and good things to know about Paul um, so it says that he was circumcised on the eighth day again that was commanded uh, in the Old Testament and you were to circumcise your sons on the eighth day. And that's Paul saying, my family followed that. Like, it was the eighth day when I was circumcised. Um, he's from the nation of Israel, but specifically he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Cool little detail that uh, we know about Paul. And it would have been really cool to know what tribe you were from. Um, I was just sharing with Stephen. I got to meet uh, a bunch of Orthodox Jews yesterday. And my understanding is several of the families today can't trace back what tribe they came from. Uh, and I realize there's, you know, 2,000 years between us and Paul here. Uh, but however, he knew exactly which tribe he came from. And I also just think it's cool, Stephen, do you remember which tribe King Saul was from in the Old Testament? He is also a Benjamite. That's right. He's also from the tribe of Benjamin. We're not going to do anything with that, but I do just think that that's cool. Well, I will say there's a lot of fascinating parallels between Saul and Saul. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was also Paul's original name. And... Um, there's a whole interesting study you can do sometime on the story of Benjamin, kind of his story arc in the Bible, and how there's a lot of negative things in the Old Testament that come from Benjamin, and some, some positive things as well. But then when you get to the New Testament, in some ways, Paul is kind of redeeming Benjamin's story. And so that's another podcast for another time, but very interesting threads to kind of follow Benjamin's story. Yes. But as you pointed out here... Um, you know, this is a big deal. He's of the tribe of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, um, which is one of those funny Bible things. That, like, I always thought that Paul said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but like those words are not actually in there. He says Hebrew of Hebrews, 
And then right after this, he'll say, as to the law, a Pharisee. So he's a Pharisee, yes, and he's a Hebrew, but he never says Pharisee of Pharisees. And I could see where we get that mixed up. Uh Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, And then he talks about a a few specific things. So if you want to talk about having zeal, okay, Paul says in verse verse 6, I persecuted the church. And that's recorded for us in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 8. So but Paul had the zeal of a, of a Jew or of a circumcised person. Uh, if you want to talk about righteousness that's in the law, as, as far as that goes, he says, I was blameless. I was following it to the T. And so whatever you want to bring up and throw at Paul in regard to his life as a Jew, he's saying, I lived perfectly. But in verse 7, everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Why does any of that matter in Christ Jesus? Specifically those things that Paul is talking about. Why would they matter? It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek. Are you in Jesus Christ? And that's what Paul is going to go on to say that he puts all of his stock in, is that he is found in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and he uses an interesting phrase, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He doesn't think that those things are worth nothing. Um, he right. appreciates his Jewish heritage. He's not saying, oh, it doesn't, doesn't matter at all. But he's saying, I found something that is so infinitely more valuable that any other valuable thing to me in life is, it might as well be loss. <laughs> it's a little bit like when Jesus says, you got to love God so much that by contrast, you hate your father and your mother and your own life as well. Um, he's not saying literally hate. He's just saying the contrast, it can't even be a close second. And so he points out these things that were everything to him in his life before Christ. But he's like, now that I've found Christ, like these things are practically lost to me. And that's a really important principle for Christians, that when we find Jesus, there is a total redo of our priorities. That whatever it was that we found our identity in before Jesus, whatever it was that we just really loved. It's not that we just like stop loving those things unless of course they're sinful, but it's that, okay, like that, that used to enthrall me. That used to just pull me in and make me who I was. And now like, that's nothing to me compared to knowing Jesus and living for him and being in him. And so Paul is making a really profound point for the Christian walk. And this is a challenge because it's easy for us to slip back into our old thinking of being who we were before we were Christians and taking joy in something other than being in Christ. And again, it's not to say that we can't enjoy anything else, but the contrast here is what Paul's making is these things are loss compared to knowing Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's really cool that the hymn that we sing, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, makes a specific reference to this verse. Like, when I survey how wonderful, how wondrous the cross is on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count count but but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Mm -hmm. Um, So it uses this language to say that's what we do when we look at the cross and see how valuable it is. He also ties a little bit of instruction in this. Um, So at the end of verse 6, he had said, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, I was blameless. But watch how he brings that back up in verse uh, 8 and 9. So he says, um, he considers all these things as loss, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, 
but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. And so here he's got the instruction side of things where he's saying the, the problem with finding all of your value and all of your worth in the law is there was no hope there. In Jesus Christ, when you put faith and trust in him, that is where your righteousness is found. It's from God based on faith. And so uh, it is important to see he, he gives that little bit of instruction there. It is more fully developed, like Stephen said, in some of his other epistles, but that's still there. Yeah, and again, this is a warning because this is the Judaizing mentality. I'm righteous because I keep the law. And he said, I, I, I'm not doing that. I don't want that righteousness that comes from the law. I want the righteousness that comes through trusting Jesus. Uh, it depends on faith. Um, and I love verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. But here's the thing. If you want to know the power of resurrection, what do you have to do? You have to die. Mm -hmm. And so he talks about being conformed to Jesus in two ways. He talks about being conformed and sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and then knowing the power of his resurrection. And really that's in some ways what happened to Paul on one level when he was converted, is that he died to his old way of living and thinking and identifying and saying, I used to be this Jew, this Hebrew of Hebrews, had all the credentials, had all the worldly gain that comes from that, and I died. I put the old man to death, and I was raised with Christ, and now I'm a different man. I, I count those things as rubbish or as dung. I mean, he uses some pretty you know, graphic language in this chapter to talk about, again, the contrast. They're worthless to me. But he says, in Jesus, I now have this hope. I'm pressing forward to the resurrection of the dead. Like, even if I die physically, now I'm looking forward to new life forever. And so it's powerful to see that being like him in his death, but the goal is to get through the death to the resurrection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really is beautiful. So uh, this leads us into the next section. Um, Stephen, you want to read 12 through chapter 4, verse 1? Again, not a great chapter break. Yeah, some of that, missed it by one verse. Yeah, that's right. Uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 12. I'm reading from the ESV. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I've often told you and tell you now, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 
Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So I believe the CSB is, is trying to help us get some continuity through the previous section and the section we just read. So in verse 10, the CSB had said, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. Verse 11, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. But then in verse 12, it says, not that I've already reached the goal or am already uh, perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so pointing out like Paul, Paul saying like, I'm not dead. Like I haven't been resurrected yet. I've not reached the goal yet. I've not been made perfect yet. But guess what? I take every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken hold of Christ, uh, being taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And uh, I just I love that phrase, "take hold of," um, don't let go, really grab onto it, um, take hold of me is the idea, and, and that's what Paul is saying. He's done, and I'm not going to let go of Jesus. And the ESV translates it, make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Oh, that's, so it's, okay. But it is that idea of, it's literally the idea of grasping, yeah. but it also has the idea of, like, ownership. Like, yep. you're taking a hold of something because it's mine. Yeah. And so both of those ideas are there, uh, laying a hold of something, uh, making it my own. And so that is a beautiful image. Uh, Christ Jesus took a hold of me. And so now I'm reaching back out to take a hold of what he wants for me, mm-hmm. pressing on. Now, I think this is a really fascinating connection here. Um, somebody pointed out that the word for press on in verse 12, I press on to make it my own. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal, is the same word that was used back in verse 6 as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Hmm. It's the same word. Um, and so to persecute, it like literally means to pursue something, like to go after it. And so we think of it, if someone's persecuting you, they're coming after you. And so Paul is saying, I used to go after the church, but now I'm going after Jesus, <laughs> like in a positive sense. Uh, I, I am pressing on. And so you see the same zeal that Paul had against Jesus has just been turned around, and now he's headed toward Jesus. So I think that's really fascinating, that the same word for persecute or to pursue um, is now used in a positive light in the rest of the chapter, showing Paul's change. Mm -hmm. And he gives a little bit of practical advice on how to do that, uh, starting in the middle of verse 13. In my translation, he'll say, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. There's a certain level of needing to forget and and move past the things that are in the past so that we can continue to move forward. Uh, one of mine and Stephen's friends, Scott Smelser, he has a really helpful illustration. It talks about like when you're driving, there is a reason why your rear view mirror is, you know, like a sixteenth of the size of your windshield. What's behind you, what you've passed on the roadway is not near as important as what's in front of you. And that's why your windshield is so big. And I think Paul is saying here, you've got to leave some of these things behind. And like those things that Paul mentioned in verse 5 and 6, he's saying, I I left those things behind. Um, I'm forgetting those things, and I'm moving on to press on to what is ahead, to reach forward to what is ahead. And there's just so many different 
action words in this section. Um, if you want to go through and circle all the verbs in verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 1, there's just so many of them. Um, so reaching forward to what is ahead at the end of verse 13, and then verse 14, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Uh, therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. So Paul is, is calling on these brethren to have the same mentality, to have the same way of thinking. And, and I think it's really interesting in verse 15 that he says, okay, here's my mentality, here's my way of thinking. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And what I think is fascinating is sometimes you might think, well, when I'm mature, when I've grown up, then I will have made it. I will know that like, hey, I've grown up, I'm here. But Paul says, I'm not there yet. I haven't obtained it. I'm not perfect. I'm pressing on. I'm pursuing this goal because it's a continual growing process. And that in and of itself is a mark of maturity. Whenever you think you've arrived or you think you've made it, that's actually an immature mindset. But Paul says, if you're mature, you're going to think like this and you're going to keep pressing forward. You're never going to stop growing or be content with where you're at. In a, you know, in a bad sense of contentment uh, here. He'll talk about positive contentment in chapter 4. But it's really interesting to think about spiritual maturity is realizing we're not there yet. And it's easy for us, the more we grow, to kind of settle in and be like, okay, well, I'm good enough or whatever. And, and Paul's like, no. And if anyone, you know, you think about, like, all the Christians in the New Testament, like, look at Paul. He's like, man, he's like the super Christian. Like, if anyone could have, like, taken a little bit of a breather and, like, let up a little bit on the gas, it would have been Paul. And he's like, no, dude, like, I'm pressing on. Like, I'm not letting up because I'm not there yet. Christ Jesus took a hold of me, and now I am pursuing him with everything I've got. And so if you're mature, think like this. Uh, and, and let God show you if you're not thinking that way. Like, you got to get to this mindset of pressing on constantly and holding true to what we've attained. So that's just a really helpful picture of maturity here that might be, maybe I don't know, different than what we expect. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I'm really enjoying the CSB because it's just helping me see, I think, the text in a different light. But in verse 16, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. I uh, just really like that translation. Um, in, in verse 17, he says, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Paul, in several other passages, will use this kind of phrasing where he's calling on the brethren to imitate him as they imitate Christ Jesus. Uh, this isn't a pompous or arrogant thing for Paul to do because he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I would hope that these brethren would receive this well. I mean, Paul has shown that living by these principles has been very fruitful in the kingdom. And so if they will implement these things, it will be good for them. But he also makes it clear that they need to pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Mm -hmm. uh, this kind of lifestyle is intentional. You have to pay attention to it. And uh, I know it, it's... and pretty much any profession, but um, as I think about the volunteer firefighting world, um, that's really a lot of what I did for the first year was just watched other people work, watched the way that they interacted with others on certain calls or, or watched the way that they put out fires or went into buildings. And I didn't get hands-on until really a year after, it felt like, because I was just having to pay careful attention to the others who were already doing this job. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you're going to have to pay attention 
You're going to have to watch them. You're going to have to watch us and then follow in our footsteps and follow in our example. Yes. And, I mean, isn't that exactly what Paul has done in this chapter? Is he's warning them against false teachers. He's about to warn them again here about the kind of life that they live. But he's saying, don't look at them. Look at good examples. And Paul himself has modeled and says, listen, I could I could have been a Judaizer so easily, but I didn't. Here's my mindset. I'm not thinking about my own gain. I'm thinking about Christ. I'm pressing on to those things. I'm not there yet. And all of these attitudes are actually spiritual maturity. And he says there's other Christians like this too. So instead of looking at the false teachers and being drawn away by their worldly accolades and like all the glory that it looks like they have, you take your eyes off of them and you put your eyes on people who are humble, who are spiritually mature by knowing they're not there yet and focused on Jesus and his glory and not the glory that comes from the law or your own righteousness. And so again, I think like running in the background of this whole chapter is that contrast between true teachers and false teachers and how that tends to happen. And so he's like, hey, watch out for this. And one of the ways you can watch out is by keeping your eyes on good examples, people who are humble, who are really focused on on the right things. And so, But he says here that he's not just like mad about these false teachers. I want you to see his grief in verse 18. For many of whom I've often told you, again, he said this a bunch of times, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He recognizes that like he he does not like these people in the sense that like he called them dogs, evildoers, but he's also like, listen, this breaks my heart that people are walking as enemies of the cross. And I don't know, uh, I guess it would only have only been like the original copy of the letter that might have had like some, some teardrops on it, you <laughs> yeah. know, like I, like this causes me to weep. Like I'm heartbroken over how messed up some people get in their attempt to follow Jesus. And they are, are totally the opposite of what they should be. And you could stop at verse 18 and, and be like, all right, so what is Paul going to say? All right, go out there and stop them. Get them. Verse 19, their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they are focused on earthly things. Um, their end is not up to us to, to go out and decide for them. They have made it for themselves. Their end is destruction. That's what it's going to look like for them. Their God is their stomach. Oh man, that that to me is one of the more vivid, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, fr- phrases in the in the New Testament. The idea is what they w- what they're worshiping is what they are, what their appetite is, what they're craving. Mm-hmm. And it's just such vivid imagery. Their God is their stomach. Whatever they want to eat, they go out and get it. Is the idea, yeah. And that's who their gods are. Their glory is in their shame. Um, and man, haven't we been there before? And ha- haven't we seen that in others as well, where we're glorying in things that are shameful, um, and, it, and it's sad to see, and they're focused on earthly things. Just four things that are really scary to see in the world, and yet that's directly contrasted with verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going on. That's in the world. And he's talking about brethren. This is going on in the church, too. And yet, in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we belong. And we're waiting for the Savior, Christ Jesus. Yeah. A lot of hope in that. That's right. And so, again, the contrast, you know, don't look at those things. Look at these things. 
And we mentioned uh, in an earlier episode that uh, there's a couple of references to citizenship in F- Philippians, which is significant because Philippi was a Roman colony. Would have been a, they would have had Roman citizenship if they were born there. But back in chapter 1, verse 27, um, only let your manner of life be worthy. Uh, that's the word for like live as a citizen, which the CSB brings that out. Um, uh, by the way, this this episode is not sponsored by the CSB. Yeah, anyway, I know. Uh, it's just Chase switched to it recently. It's new so to we, both of us. We've both been kind of uh, <laughs> learning from it as we go. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, we, yes. we just we've really been enjoying reading the different. Yeah, we don't have any sponsors, by the way. Just just to clarify <laughs> yeah, about the, this. Just, just reading the word. Um, so he says here, our citizenship is in heaven. So it's related to that same word from chapter one, verse twenty-seven. Um, and he's just saying, hey, listen, you guys could take so much pride in your Roman citizenship, but you need to take pride in Jesus. You need to take pride in looking forward to heaven. And that's an interesting side point to what he's been doing in this chapter, isn't it? He's been kind of focusing on the Jewish side of things by saying, hey, don't take pride in the law or in your own righteousness or in all these like physical lineage things. But now he turns to the Gentiles and says, hey, don't put your hope in your Roman citizenship or like, you know, Roman stuff. But you rather, again, take your eyes off of that and put your eyes on Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are waiting for a savior from, from that kingdom, the Lord, King Jesus Christ. And I love verse 21. Here's what's going to happen when he comes back. And there's a great mystery in this. He's going to transform our bodies. There's going to be a resurrection. Mm-hmm. He's talked about that earlier, but he comes back to resurrection here. He's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I'll just say, I, I have a lot of questions about that. Like, apparently Jesus still has a body, a glorified one, and he's going to change our body to be like his. First John 3 talks about we will be like him, for we'll see him just as he is. So a lot we don't know about that. But the point is, he is powerful, and he's able to make us everything that he wants us to be in eternity with him. And that's why we're pressing on. That's why we're suffering like we are. And so he brings this around in verse four, or chapter four, verse one. Again, it kind of ends this section. Said, "All right, brothers and sisters, uh, whom I love and long for, my joy, and my crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord." So this whole chapter has really been like, "Hey, watch out for these false teachers. Stand firm." in the teaching that you have. Look at good examples, not bad examples. Don't put your trust in the law. Don't put your trust in your Roman citizenship. You gotta fix your eyes on Jesus and press on, pursue him with everything you've got. Yeah, and I just just thought about this too from what you said, Stephen. The cool contrast, he talks about what the world's end is gonna look like in verse 19, and then he talks about what our end is gonna look like in verse 21 which is just really mm-hmm. cool. And as differently as we look in the world, that's as different as we're going to look in the life after as well. Um, so I think you said that in so many words. I'm just now putting that together. That's really cool. I also like to point out in verse 1, again, how much Paul loves these people. Uh, he calls them his joy and his crown. Like You, you really got to love someone to say that about them. Um, these are brethren. They're, they're dearly loved. Paul longs for them, but they're his joy and his crown. Um, and I don't think Paul means that in any selfish way or, or anything like that, but I think he means that in a very loving way, that you know, everything he has done for the kingdom has led to getting to meet and love these brethren. 
and we need to strive to have that same kind of relationship with our brethren where we feel the same way for them. Um, and this is the kind of work that, that Paul is willing to go on in life to do, uh, as he talked about back in chapter 1. To, to die would be great because he gets to go to be with Christ, but to stay on here is gain as well because I get to work with brethren like you. And so you really see his love for them there in chapter 4, 1 as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great point. And that's why we take such joy from this letter of Philippians, is just to see what a close relationship Paul had with the disciples of Philippi specifically. And um, so we'll look a little bit more at that uh, in chapter 4 uh, next time, Lord willing. Uh, we'll try to wrap up. And um, it's really cool to see how he is going to have a little bit of a rebuke at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But he's going to have a lot more personal notes here at the end uh, and talking about their support of, of his work and just how close he feels to them and how much he rejoices in them. Yeah. So, Lord willing, we'll get into chapter 4, uh, verse 2 next week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, uh, leave us a rating or a review. Um, if you'd like to study with us, we'd love to talk about these things more with you, 717-585-0949, or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information about worship and uh, group studies, check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.